Lord, thank you so much for this day which you have made. Thank you for the gift of life. Thank you for, Lord, some of the things, when we think about, when I think about the, 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 the impact of, of ecological events like what happened in Haiti, when I think of wars and conflicts like what's happening in Afghanistan and other places that are not receiving the press coverage Lord, I am just aware that there is a need to steward the peace which we have in this country. Lord, there are many things that we could complain about, but Lord, when it's all said and done, we have so much peace that we can come here to this place and we can gather together as your people without fear of anyone coming in and arresting us because we have gathered together. Um, that's a freedom, Lord. I have the freedom to come and go from my home whenever I feel like it, Lord. That's a freedom to be stewarded, Lord. I have the freedom to turn on my television or my radio or, well, not my radio, but, but um, Lord, to listen to Spotify or something, Lord, to play video games, Lord, to read, to look in the refrigerator and see, do I want to partake of any of the options there to figure out which outfit I'm going to wear today, which pair of shoes I'm going to wear today, to decide whether I want to go to my mom's house or call her, whether I'm going to get something from 7-Eleven or Lord, these are freedoms that are taken for granted. But Lord, in Afghanistan, someone can't go home. Lord, when I talk about stewarding freedom and peace, I'm talking about using it for you. And so, Lord, I pray that as we see these things unfolding, that we would pray that our hearts would be moved, that we would evaluate ourselves and see if we are using the peace that you've given us, the peace for which we pray when we pray for our leaders. May we use it to make you known, and as prayed earlier, that your will will be done on earth as it is in heaven through us. Lord, in the context in which we find ourselves, because we are not in the situations in which we've prayed about this morning. Lord, we ask you that we would, as the song said, find ways to give ourselves away. And as we talk about what it looks like to care for the terminally ill, Lord, I pray that you would give us ears to hear, hearts to understand, minds that lean forward to position ourselves to be of great service to those who, as far as we know, are on their way to you at a quicker rate than we are. Lord, may it not be drudgery. May it not be uh, something that causes people to complain in their hearts. But instead, may we also access courage. That was prayed about earlier. And may we be faithful to engage with our brothers and sisters, our family members, Lord, 
who may be terminally ill. Lord, I pray that you will please increase and that I would decrease. And I pray that you would use this time to move us forward to that end. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, I, I meant to mention this earlier, but um, we are taking communion like at the end of this meeting, uh, message, excuse me. Um, and so if, uh, if two or three people could go, there's some communion supplies in the back in that little uh, area under the um, clock. Um, if you could just like pass that, somebody, anybody, just three people, if you could do that, that would be of great service because it's going to be like a, it's, the transition is not going to be a long one. Um, as mentioned in the prayer, we are, on, we are in the midst of a series that is not exciting. It's not an exciting series, um, but it's a necessary series. The reason that it's necessary is because if you are part of a family, any family, you are going to have people <coughs> who are born into that family, and you're going to have people who depart that family. You're going to have people that, that, that are living in the midst of it, and you're going to have people that die. And that's not anything. We cannot escape that. In this family, as I was thinking about this message, my mind went to certain people who I have had the privilege of knowing as a brother or sister in Christ who used to come here every Sunday for a season. And I know I'm not going to mention everyone's name. It's impossible for me to do that. My mind is not that sharp. And it was a passing thought, but my mind thought of, of a woman named Marva March, who was one of the few other black people who were here when I came to this church um, and who was a, a, a encouraging, wonderful woman of God. I think about Carol Chapelier, who came to this church, not a believer at the time, but came to know the Lord and became one of the dearest sisters in this church. I think about a woman who uh, was, I think, in her 30s, uh, named Denise Estes, who came uh, from out of nowhere and became part of this church and is now with Jesus. And I think about visits to their nursing home or their home. And I think about how happy I am that I went to see them and that they were happy to see me. I also cannot help but think about my own grandparents, particularly my grandmother, who entered eternity through complications with Alzheimer's. And the reason that one sticks out to me so much is because of the gradual decline. The last time, every time I see my grandmother until the last time I saw her, I was always so honored that she would say, you made me a grandmother. But I remember the last time I saw her, she was asleep and She woke up. There was no recognition in her eyes. None. <laughs> she said, boy, who are you? And so I tried to explain to her who I was. I don't know whether she got it or not. 
But I remember saying, Grandma, I'm Michael. I'm your oldest grandson. That's who I am. I love you. And she just fell back to sleep. I can't think of a time that I was disappointed that I had gone to see my grandmother, even though I was disappointed at the shape she was in. And near the end of this message, we're going to talk about how to, what things we can do to care for those who are terminally ill. But what we wanted to do first is we want to sort of process the mindset of one who wasn't terminally ill, but was definitely on his deathbed, actually his death cross, and that was Jesus Christ. Before we look at the seven, what is referred to called the seven last words of Christ, which gives us insight into what his mindset was, we should say, we should let you know that the first person who introduces the concept of death is God himself. He does it in Genesis chapter 2 when he tells the man that um, you are free to eat from any tree in a garden in Genesis 2, 16 and 17. But you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil for the day that you eat from it, you will certainly die. So it's God who, who introduces the concept of death, but death, because eventually the fruit was eaten from that tree, death became more than a concept um, after the fall. And the reality was felt, is demonstrated in chapter 5 of Genesis. In chapter 5 of Genesis, you will see, if you, re- you will read the names of people who enter into the historical books, right? But then you'll see that everyone lived for a certain amount of time, and then they died. Then you'll see someone else came, right? And he lived for a certain amount of time, and then he died. And then you'll see someone else, and then it just goes on and tells you, like, you know what? Everybody comes, and then they go. Death came on the scene. What, what it means to be terminally ill, term, the word terminal means occurring at or uh, causing the end of life. So when we talk about being terminally ill, we're talking about an illness that is projected to cause the end of the life of the one who has the illness. Christians have a, 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 a stellar history in trying to uh, uh, relieve those who are terminally ill even staying back in the midst of pandemics and plagues to care for those who were ill. So much so that those who were onlooking, pagan people, would say, you know what, we need, to, we need to do what the Christians are doing because many people are turning to Christ and following their religion because they're serving people without any regard for their life. Now, I'm not, I'm not telling you that. I'm just telling you about that. I'm not telling you to do that. I'm telling you about that. I'm saying that in, in the Christian DNA is what we sang about, that our life is not our own. To you, I belong. Therefore, I will give my life away. I understand that we are American, but hopefully as I experienced in, 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 in my life, the most defining characteristic about me 
It's not whether or not I'm an American. It's not what political party I'm a part of. It's not even what school I went to. And even though you hear me talk about where I grew up, it's not even about that. It is that I know Jesus. And that this life for us who know Jesus is not all there is. Right? It's not all there is. And therefore, this life is not going to be clung to as if it is all there is because there is much, much, much more for us who are in Christ. We have much more to look forward to. So to others, it may seem insane to stay back and serve people in a pandemic or in a plague. But as mentioned last week, Jesus entered into this world and took on the form of a man, exposing himself to what it's like to be a man, even though he was the king of glory. And so in entering into the suffering and the pain of others, and I would say particularly into the pain and suffering of those who are terminally ill, we embrace the way of Christ. In Luke 2, 33 and 35, Mary is told about the fact that, and she's told this by Simeon when she took her son Jesus to the temple, um, that this child is destined to cause the, rise, the fall and rise of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be opposed and a sword will pierce your own soul that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Jesus at this point, is not one who can talk. He's not one who's walking. He's a little child, and Simeon, a prophet, knows that Jesus is going to die. That's why the, 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 the sword is going to pierce through his mom's heart, because he was born to die. So you can say Jesus was born with a death sentence. In the book of John, we find that Jesus always consistently refers to his hour. His hour is not when he's healing people. His hour is not when he's raising up people from the dead. His hour is when he goes to the cross. That's his hour. And his hour is when he's glorified in the book of John, if you're familiar with that book. So that's what Jesus was aware. He was aware of the fact that he came to die. And so that's why Christians wear a symbol of death and have the symbol of death as the symbol of life for them. Because through his death, we now live. Hallelujah. Amen. So what was Jesus's mindset on the cross? And what can we parse from things he said on the cross as we try to process what it might be like or as we try to gain some insight into how to serve those who are terminally ill. Well, I will let you know what I'm parsing out and then look at the passages and remind you. Those who are terminally ill can, can feel a sense of abandonment. Those who are terminally ill 
will probably suffer physically. Those who are terminally ill will probably feel a sense of responsibility for those they are leaving behind. Those who are terminally ill, who know Jesus, they're going to have a concern for the spiritual well-being of their loved ones. Those who are terminally ill will consider their spiritual or their eternal destination. Those who are terminally ill will eventually embrace the fact that they are transitioning into eternity. And those who are, are terminally ill, especially those who, those who know Christ, will entrust themselves to the eternal one. Jesus in Matthew 27, 46, it says this about his being on the cross at about three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lemma sabachthani. That is my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Jesus, with the sense of, with death being on over his head, he feels a separation from God. And we know that the separation was because of the uh, sin, the weight of sin being on him. And so he experiences um, separation from his father as he has not experienced before. And oftentimes with those who are sick and, and those who are terminally ill, they can, because they've not been as ill as they are, they can have a sense of abandonment. We, we've already talked about how John the Baptist, who was so filled with the Spirit even in his mother's womb, that when uh, Mary, the mother of Jesus, came to visit Elizabeth, John's mother, that in the womb he had to do flips and cartwheels and all that because Jesus was near. John's the same one who told his disciples, hey, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So he knows who Jesus is. But when he's imprisoned, he questions who Jesus is. He questions who he is. Why? Well, the context is, I didn't expect this because I'm with you. And there's something about, if you can, if you can just put yourself in the position of those who are terminally ill, who have the awareness of mind to think about where they are and to think about where they're going and to, um, to be in a position where they're just left with their own mind. I don't know about you, but sometimes the truth of a matter, especially if it's bad news, like just tell me, tell me what the bad news is. Please don't tell me, hey, man, it's bad news, and then, like, I'll tell you tomorrow. No, don't do that. Please. Because then I'm going to start thinking, like, what could it be? Did uh, this happen and happen? This, um. Last night, <laughs> just last night, my, my dear wife, I, I appreciate this, too. 
She told me something that disappointed me, not about her, about someone else. Um, um, just so we're clear. <laughs> not that my wife hasn't ever disappointed me, nor have I disappointed her. That's not the, you know, just so you know that too. Um, so I'm not saying she's perfect, nor am I. But I'm saying the situation she was talking to me about was about someone else. And she started it off by saying, brace yourself. <laughs> and then she jumped right to it. She just told me. And when she told me, it's like, okay, man, well, at least they're not dead. That's like, okay, that's not, it could be, it could be much, because my mind is going to go to probably worst case scenarios. So imagine being left with that mind when you're lying awake at, in bed at night or when you feel a pain that reminds you of your illness or when you're reminded of something you might miss when you're gone that you were really looking forward to seeing. Our culture is one that unfortunately seems to be poised to even haphazardly feel abandoned by God because of felt circumstances. Jesus actually had the right to say what he said because he had never sinned. And we know that sin separates people from God. And so his sense of not being near God was one that he never felt. We have the benefit of God over and over and over again in Scripture, telling us that he never leaves us nor forsakes us, that he's always with us. And so I'm saying not that people who are terminally ill shouldn't feel that way. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that people who are terminally ill may be able to relate to that in ways that we don't when we didn't get the car or the house or the class or whatever that we could feel forsaken about, that people feel forsaken about these days. It's like minuscule compared to like, no, man, this is really something I haven't had the opportunity to experience with God. And this is new and it's disorienting. And I feel like God is not near but yet, hopefully, like John the Baptist, in some way, shape, or form, hopefully, through the care of brothers and sisters, we are reminded that God is with us, despite our circumstances, despite, as what Pastor Kurt says, oftentimes, despite the reality that what's always good for us is not always good to us. So there can be a sense of abandonment, um, a feeling of abandonment by those who are experiencing terminal illness. Um, obviously, there can be the physical um, suffering. So Jesus, his physical suffering, obviously, we know that he was whipped. We know, like, you cannot know the story of the cross and say he didn't suffer physically. Um, so um, we know that he was whipped. We know that he had a thorn of a, a crown of thorns placed on his head. But while he was on the cross, he he 
speaks about his suffering when he says um, uh, in John 19, 28, when Jesus knew that everything was now finished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, um, he said, I'm thirsty. So I mentioned to you last week about my stepfather who was uh, diabetic and eventually um, succumbed to uh, that disease, complications uh, related to that disease, um, and how he would get people to give him water when he wasn't supposed to, and how I felt bad because if you know what it's like to be thirsty, then you probably know what it's like to be refreshed by a good, cool drink of water. And to know that that's what this person wants, and it's in your power to do it, but it's not ultimately going to be good for them and to have to deny them and to consider like, man, if that were me, how would I feel? Then I would feel, you know, bad for my stepfather. And it reminded me of his, my stepfather's trial reminded me of Jesus saying that he was thirsty. And so there's going to be some physical suffering. There's also going to be, a, <coughs> excuse me, a feeling of responsibility uh, for those that you're leaving behind. So just before he says that he's thirsty, he says in John 19, 26 and 27, um, that, well, it says that he saw his mother and the disciple that he loved. They were standing there. And then he said to his mother, woman, here is your son. Then he said to the disciple, here is your mother. And then it says from that hour, the disciple took her into his home. Now we know that Jesus had brothers and sisters. He didn't depend on them though. For whatever reason, he said, no, the disciple that he loved, hey, Woman, that's your son. Hey, this is your mom. From now on, what was he doing? He was looking out for his mom. He took time out of death, time out of dying, and said, oh, I need to make sure my mother's cared for. And so he cares for her. Sometimes parents do the same thing. Sometimes the medical community will talk about, well, I don't know why he or she is holding on so long right now. All indications are they should be they should have left yesterday or should have left two days ago. But they can hold out. And some people will have even like taken the step of releasing their parents and letting them know I'm going to be all right without you. Well, they have to do that because even like when you are terminally ill, there are things that crystallize in your mind. Your departure will crystallize in your mind and your care for your loved ones does not dissipate. It probably crystallizes right along with the other things. And so within Jesus's power was the power to declare, this is your son, this is your mom. Why did he do that? Because he was looking out for his mom. He had a sense of responsibility because he was not going to be there to take care of her any longer. Luke 23, 43 says this, Jesus talking to the thief, and he said to him, truly, I tell you today, you will be with me in paradise. One of the things that is very, very, very obvious when people are terminally ill is that they really do, if they know the Lord, they are concerned about the spiritual, spiritual state of their, usually their children. Like what, what they are concerned about it. They, they want their children. They don't want this to be the final goodbye. They want to see them again. And usually other people want to see those who die again. Because when they're sharing testimonies and if they ever say any words to the one who has departed, which sometimes people do when they're sharing 
um, at, at funerals, they say, I can't wait till I see you again. There's an anticipation of seeing them again. Well, they're not going to see each other again unless they're in heaven together. So there can be and probably is a a concern for the spiritual well-being, the eternal destination of their loved ones. And of course, I switched up some things. (laughs) That was a a big blooper. (laughs) So even though the words that I that I that I shared do relate to um, to the point that I made, the the passage I was supposed to share um, for the concern for the spiritual well-being of their loved ones is the, is Christ's spirit, uh, desire for the spiritual well-being of those who were actually harming him. When he says in Luke 23, 43, Father, forgive them because they do not know what they are doing. He has a concern for their spiritual welfare. What I was supposed to say related to Luke 23, 43, where he says uh, that, that today you will be with me in paradise, is that there is also, for those who are terminally ill that know Jesus Christ, there is a, 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 an awareness of their eternal destination, that they are going to be in heaven, that hopefully other people will come with them eventually, but that they are close to being in eternity themselves, and not just in eternity, but in heaven with Jesus, where there will be no more death, no more tears, no more pain, no more sickness. All of that good stuff is where Jesus is, and that is where those who are terminally ill should set their minds. And when they aren't, then that's where we come in and we help them to remember. Because eventually they have, as we, as we all have, we, we, none of us have the ability to as Jesus said, add one hour to our life. When it's time to go, we're going. We don't get to determine that. We don't get to, to determine where we, when we come, and we don't get to determine when we leave. We should prepare ourselves for the fact that, as I told my brother John Rogers once, um, John Rogers is, is my uh, son-in-law's dad, he passed away uh, last month, if I'm thinking correctly. We had his funeral a few weeks back. And he came in after he'd had a round of chemo. And he said something about being terminal. And then I just explained to him. I didn't explain it. It was just a, like it just dropped in like, man, we're all terminal. You just happen to have like some awareness of the time frame, but like we're all terminal. We don't know. Right? There's no no one here, unless Jesus returns. Yeah, I know that's what I'm I'm holding out for that. But like, you know, but I don't control I don't control it, <laughs> right? So I have to live as if I'm terminal. We should live as if we all are terminal. 
Because eventually at some point in time, unless Jesus returns, we will have to embrace eternity. In John 19, 30, it says, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. Then bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. At some point, the spirit is given up. And the transition to eternity is intensified. But it's not just a transition into eternity for those of us who know Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for our sins. It is also a way in which we can entrust ourselves to he who is eternal, to God himself. For Luke 23, 46 says this, and Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I entrust my spirit, saying this, he breathed his last. So I'm not sure what order that came in, but it seems like there was a burst. And sometimes when you go to, when you hear that people have like a few, uh, a day or so, or like they won't, won't make it through the week, sometimes there's a burst of energy that they have that looks like, hey man, it's, there's just some lucidity that can come. Uh, there's just um, some engagement that can happen. And <coughs> excuse me, maybe Jesus experienced this, but there was a burst of communication uh, about the situation. It is finished. And then uh, a cry out to the Father, into your hands, I entrust my spirit. Um, and then he breathed his last. So those are some things that we learn from, from Jesus just by parsing out. Obviously, that's not what the passage is about. The passage is about these passages are about what it was like for Jesus. But I do think those these passages that we went through, they do let us into the mindset, the potential mindset of those we might serve who might be terminally ill, that they can feel a sense of abandonment, that they, they will suffer spirits, excuse me, physically, that they have a sense of responsibility for those that they are leaving behind, that they um, have a concern for the spiritual well-being of their loved ones, that they are considering their own eternal destination, that eventually they're going to embrace the reality that they are very close to stepping into eternity, but they do not have to fear stepping into eternity because they are entrusting themselves to the eternal one. Paul said that his desire, his expectation, his hope was that he would be excuse me, that he would not be ashamed about anything and that Christ would be highly honored whether he lived or died. As one of the pastors of this church, the desire is that every one of us who are, what I said, we're all terminal that we would have the mindset that Paul had when he was in a Philippian prison and he did not know whether he was going to live or die. So he was considering like, what, you know, what am I going to do? And his hope, his eager expectation was that he wouldn't be ashamed about anything. He wouldn't live in a way in which he had to be ashamed, but that he would highly honor Christ in his body, whether by life or by death. And you know what, saints, we get to help people in the process to 
ensure or to help them remind themselves of honoring Christ highly, whether by life or death. And here are some ways that I think we can serve those who are terminally ill. And there are two ways, but I'm going to have drop downs to the two. So the two ways are to treat them with dignity and to feed them spiritually. Treat them with dignity and to feed them spiritually. Treating with dignity (laughs) is, one, just a consideration of the new territory into which this terminally ill person has entered. People, I've, I've, the only time I've had to go to a new school is like when it was time to go. So kindergarten, uh, seventh grade, um, then they switched my school, so then eighth grade, and then ninth grade to go to high school. And then, you know, uh, I went to the military. That was new. You switch duty stations. Basic training is one context. Then you go to another one where you get to learn your job. Then you go to your permanent duty station, and then that might be in a different country. But every time it's new, you kind of have to reorient yourself to, like, what are the rules here? How do you, you, know, how do you engage this place? Um, and so think about that. That's a way for you to uh, begin thinking with this in mind. I'm going to treat this person the way I want to be treated. So first off is this is new territory. Remember what it was like for you to go into new territory and remember... <laughs> Excuse me. Remember the fact that your new territory wasn't one that was going to take you to a place that's like unlike any place you'd ever been. Try to think about that for the person you're serving. So here's some things you can do to treat people with dignity who are terminally ill. You can speak to them respectfully. I know it's not this is it's not really rocket science. It's not none of what I'm saying is going to be rocket science, man. It's just going to be basically treating people the way you want to be treated. Why do I say treat people respectfully? Well, I told you about my grandmother. There was one of our family members who talked to my grandmother in a way that made me want to fight him. Because he would be so frustrated with my grandmother. Now this person was older than me. Um, I won't say what position in the family they had. Um, I will say it wasn't my dad, thank God. Um, But the way that this individual spoke to my grandmother was hard to swallow. So when that family member was around, I would leave just because I can't. I couldn't mess with him. But speak respectfully to them. So who you, boy? My grandmother talking to me. I'm not. Grandma, how could you forget me? No, no, no. It's 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 Michael, Grandma, your oldest son. Why? I haven't ever seen my grandmother like that. I know what my grandmother was like when I was growing up one of my true heroes. So her saying that I made her a grandson, like that, 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 even though she had other grandchildren, that feeling toward her was reciprocated by me. That's my grandmother. 
she was always proud of me. And like I said, she remembered me to the end. So I'm going to speak to her respectfully. Sometimes she would say, if we would, you know, if we, when Karen and I, a few times we spent the night to take care of her. <clears throat> I remember she would go somewhere. <laughs> yeah. She'd be like, y'all taking care of me, Mike? Yeah, Grandma. Why y'all taking care of me? What's wrong with me? You have Alzheimer's, Grandma. Oh, Alzheimer's. Five minutes later, y'all taking care of me, Mike? Yeah, Grandma. What's wrong with me? Alzheimer's. Grandma, you heard of that? Yeah, I heard Alzheimer's. Alzheimer's. Five minutes later, you know what I'm going to say, so I ain't going to have to repeat myself. <laughs> but, but the, and so, yes, so you had to laugh. Like, it's like, okay, man, it is what it is. You know, it's like, hey, this is what it's like, and I'm going to talk to her respectfully every time she makes that statement. Of course, that was my grandmother, but how I treat my grandmother and people in my family usually translates to other people. That's just the way I was raised, right? That's the way I was raised. It usually translates to other people. So around me, if you have to repeat yourself, and you know what? I don't mind repeating myself. So I know, like, so my hearing is getting a little, uh, it's not as good as it used to be. And so I know, like, like um, I, I know my wife don't mind me sharing this, but if she can't understand people, eventually, like, she'll just give it up. Me? Man, I'm not giving it up. I'm like, no, no, I want to understand what you, so, all right, okay, 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 I'm missing one word. Um, the next to last word, what was that? Or like the last word, what was that? No, I'm trying to, I, it's just like it is what it is, man. You're going to have to deal with me or you're going to have to find a different way to say it. But the thing that I see there, okay, I'm sorry, I'm going to just give you a little bit of insight here. You can help people like this. Is like usually people speak with the same cadence. So like they trail off at the same time. So it's like, okay, you need the last word. They repeat it and then they trail off again. So maybe, you know, if you could just like speak everything at the same level, that would help a person like me. Unless you want me to be like, hey, man, oh, can you say that again? Because <laughs> I'll do it. You know why? Because I'm comfortable with, I'm comfortable getting older. So I'm not, you're not going to see me dyeing my hair. You're not going to see, you ain't going to see me doing that. You're not, hopefully you, don't, you won't see me. Well, I can't even afford like a Ferrari or something like that. So you're not, but it's, it's like it is what it is. It's like, you know, they, they, oh, my goodness. There was, there, was, there was a saying, this concept of, of aging gracefully. That's, that's what I'm shooting for. That's what I'm shooting for. I'm definitely aging. <laughs> that part I can't help. <laughs> Hopefully the gracefully part, Lord help me, um, will, will be, be there. But um, So I think about, yeah, you know, one day it's going to be my turn. So speak respectfully. As much as you can. Sometimes you are not able to do this next point I'm about to say. But if you are able, please include, especially your loved ones, in the decision-making process. I mentioned my stepfather. My stepfather was not able to work because of his, his sickness. Eventually, you know, my mom was the, you know, was the person working. And my mom used to honor my stepfather by asking, what should we do with certain money? She'd be like, hey, I'm thinking about doing this. Like, what do you think? Now, but by this time, my stepfather's like pretty much bedridden. By this time, he's blind. 
So she could do anything she want with the money. He's not thinking about check, but she honored him by including him in the decision-making process because his mind was okay. Now, in every situation, the mind isn't okay. If, you, if it was my grandmother, no, you, got the, you have to get power of attorney. You have to make decisions for her. But if you do not have to, if, if it's possible for you to treat them with dignity by including them in the decision-making process, please do that. And then if you can, honor their wishes as much as you're reasonably able. You may not, it, some things may not make sense. So you may have to make hard decisions. But I would say even in that, please seek counsel. And I'm not saying for me, I'm saying please seek counsel from, from a person like Ann Cranin who's used to dealing, <coughs> excuse me, dealing with people who, um, you know, you, she, she can objectively tell you like whether or not it's time to pull the trigger on certain things rather than, oh, this is uncomfortable. Oh, I just want to do this. Um, no. Um, as much as you can, you want to reasonably, you want to honor their wishes as much as is reasonably possible. And then I would say honor, we're Christians, so we're not just anybody. We want to honor their wishes sacrificially when we're able to do that as well. So some things may inconvenience you. It's a season. It's, not, it's a season. You'll see that eventually. It's a season. And then I started off with this, but I'll just close with it in terms of treating people with dignity, treating the terminally ill with dignity. Consider how you would want to be treated. And then, so treat with dignity, feed spiritually, read scripture. So we're, we're thinking in terms of the church. This also um, would apply to loved ones, even if they don't know <laughs> the Lord. And the way you can do that is maybe they don't want you to pull out your Bible, but you can say, hey, I was reading this the other day. And you can tell them what scripture says. Right? You can give them some hope if you're worried about where they're going. Um, so the first context is, is the church, but then people have been getting to me and talking about their parents. Um, so with the saints, sing songs. Now I understand that, that, that the songs we sing, you need the words to sing them. But, like, there's some songs that you don't need the words to sing, like Amazing Grace, right? Most people know and appreciate Amazing Grace, right? And then I would just say, man, learn some hymns. <laughs> learn some hymns. And then I would say, obviously, pray. And, and, and pray by praying I mean, not just saying a prayer, but considering the context of where the person is in their journey. <coughs> so last week, someone asked a question about a, 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 a mom and daughter, um, or um, I think it was mom and daughter, um, where the daughter basically is like, man, look, don't, I don't, don't pray that the Lord miraculously heal me. Now, remember, my answer was, hey, I'll never tell you not to pray that way. But you don't have to pray that way with the person. Like, God, re re remember who we serve, right? Okay, so if, if the centurion can send somebody and say, you know what, I'm, or, or come and say, like, you know what, I'm not even worthy for you to enter my house. Like, just, like, if you say the word, it'll be done. Like, that's who we serve. So, like, it's your location, whether you're with the person or not, is not of utmost import, uh, import when we're talking ultimately about God moving. 
Um, so if that tempts the person, if it's if it looks like this person is 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 leaving, I would just say, man, I'm not telling you. Like I said, I'm never telling you not to pray for what God can do. Or not pray in light of what God can do. But when it looks like he's doing something else, a lot of times he's doing something else. So consider where the person is in the process. If they're in a the, in the, in, in the place where they're like looking forward to heaven, the, the miracle is going to be that they made it to heaven. That's, 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 that's the miracle. Consider their family situation. It, meaning like in your prayer, there might be reason to like thank God for somebody. Some, some child has stepped up uh, in, a, in an amazing way. Some member of the church may be serving them in a, in a heroic way. Like add that into your, your prayer intel so that you can pray specifically for this person. And then consider their, their goals or their cares. So they may be in a place where, uh, speaking of John, he was trying to see John thought he, because he had a diagnosis, he thought that he needed to prepare everything for his wife, Kathy. But for those of you who know um, their story, Kathy ended up entering eternity before John. So John was focused at one point in time on getting everything. So his focus shifted to his children. Right? So, so consider their cares and their goals and pray to, to that end as well. Um, so there's, I'm sure there's more that can be added. I'm sure that there are other things, but these, but, but these things shift based on who you're dealing with anyway. They are general principles that hopefully God brings to mind when they're needed. Um, so let's, let's remember in serving the terminally ill, let's treat them with dignity. Let's feed them spiritually. And let's remember that, you know, even though it wasn't a sickbed, it was a cross that our Lord and Savior got on, that he relates to those who are terminally ill. He knows what it's like to have a death sentence on him. We all have it, though. But some people are just more aware because of their circumstances of it, because of the nearness. We want to make sure that we're in a place, not like Simon of Serene, when I mentioned him last week, where he was forced to carry the cross. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, but that we willingly enter into the world of those who are in a different part of the world than we are. Those who are terminally ill, their focus is a little different than mine and yours. Their temptations are going to be a little different than ours. We want to serve them and we want to serve them well. And we can do that by the grace of God.